In a world where there is so much turmoil, arguments, church splits, finger pointing, always needing to be right, this interview today with my guest, Deidre Riggs, who's the author of One, Unity in a Divided World, comes at the perfect time. Because we discussed today that it's not about being right, but it's about being in relationship with people, in building the church, in being open and inclusive for one another, and essentially walking the way of Jesus. We're tired of the arguments and building walls. It's time now to be bridge builders and friends with everyone, being in a world of multiculturalism and inviting them to be our friends. Deidre Riggs, so great to have you all the way from Lincoln, Nebraska via Skype. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I know that you're passionate about oneness and unity and reconciliation, and those are timely words um, really for this time. I mean, for all time, but I think in, in the news and things that we're experiencing today, so timely that we have your voice, you know, in society and culture to speak on this and to actually write a book about it, too. But before we get to that, I, I know that there is a story, your story, that's behind this, that has fueled this passion from your experiences. So let's hear that. I know my viewers and listeners love to know new people. And right. so I'd love to hear your story from your beginning, your faith journey and how this reconciliation unity um, has come about in your own life. Okay. Yeah. I'm happy to tell that story. Mm -hmm. Um, when it starts when I was two years old, so way back when, (laughs) yeah. um, it was me, my dad, my mom, um, I'm the oldest child and our family moved to New Jersey and it was really important to my parents to be able to find a church for us to go to. So they looked in the yellow pages, wow. which is an ancient text, mm-hmm. and um, they found, yeah, <laughs> they found um, a little Baptist church that they wanted to try one Sunday morning. So, um, and of course, this story is told to me; it's been handed down to me over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we showed up at that church, and it was one of those churches where you walk in the back door, and then you're in the narthex, and then there's a double door that opens to the sanctuary. So, but you couldn't see into the sanctuary. So my parents walked in, and this was like 1967-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so now everyone's doing math to figure out how old I am. And so <laughs> they that. Um, yeah. They say opened up the doors to that sanctuary and they looked in and they realized that this there were no other people who were brown in the congregation, that mm-hmm. it was a white church. Um, and this was in the 60s. And my parents mm-hmm. looked at one another and said, I'm not quite sure we want to do this every Sunday morning. I don't know that we want to be these kind of revolutionaries every Sunday morning. But I was two and I had walked halfway down the aisle of the sanctuary. Wow. So someone had to go get me. And so they, um, you know, you can't just go in, get your child and run out, especially because, you know, people would be like, did you just, were there, was there just like a black family that was here? And then they left. So my parents ran in, got me, and then they sat down in the pew and stayed. And, um, you know, they say the service, it was okay, but that afternoon the pastor came to our home and that really impacted my dad. Hmm. Um, and he 
decided we would go back to that church the following week. And then we stayed at that church. And so I grew up as one member of the only brown family in a white congregation. And, wow. you know, I think in that moment that I walked down that aisle, that that was a seed being planted in my spirit um, by mm. God. Because as a two-year-old, you know, and, and as you're growing up, you only see what you see. You don't have any filters. No one has told you what is good or bad, or, you know, you're just mm -hmm. experiencing the world as it unfolds to you. And I started to notice um, as I grew up in that church that the people in my school looked different from the people in my church. And when I would visit my grandparents um, in Virginia, I would go to church with them and the people in their church all looked like me. Mm -hmm. And so it was very confusing to me because I was being taught about this Jesus <clears throat> who loves and accepts everyone and died for everyone but I couldn't figure out why we were divided in our churches. And I would, you know, as I got older and I wasn't able to articulate it then as I am now, but as I got older, I started to wonder of all the organizations in the world and the institutions in the world, I would think that the church would be the one that could figure out how to worship across racial lines. Yeah. <clears throat> and it wasn't happening as I could mm. see it just with my, you know, toddler adolescent eyes. Um, and so that started me on this journey. And my question, my driving question throughout life has been that, why can't the church figure out how to worship across racial lines? And hmm. it's a very basic question. Um, and I would ask people and they didn't really have answers. You know, this is the way it's always been. This is, you know, or, wow, I never noticed that before. I never thought about that before. Mm -hmm. And so it's just always been, um, I don't know, at the foundation of my faith, really, yeah. um, my, my faith journey and my faith experience. And as a woman of color in the church, um, my experience in the world and then in the church has just informed my faith and kind of shaped it. And I got older and realized that because of that, my experience of faith and church is very different from people who may not have um, had that same experience. So I um, really, really was interested in doing multicultural church. And as it turned out, not anything I had planned and certainly not anything I would have wished, I married a man who is a pastor. And I was, <laughs> you know, all I really wanted was a man who would go to church on Sunday. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got it. <laughs> and he had, um, you know, his own experience and own history, um, and we both, even after we got married and had children, we realized we really had this passion for multicultural ministry. And for me, when I was thinking about multicultural ministry, I was just thinking about black people and white people mm -hmm. in America, in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, and with our whole history in the United States of that particular division, um, I just, you know, that was the natural yeah. um, response for me. And over time, God strangely called us to Lincoln, Nebraska. And I can remember when my husband was telling me he was thinking about um, coming to pastor this church here in Lincoln. I said to him, um, I didn't know anything about Nebraska. I didn't even know where it was on the map. And I said <laughs> to him, so um, are there people in Nebraska? And he said, yes. And I said, are there black people in Nebraska? <laughs> Well, there will be when we get there. And so, so it was the strangest place to come to try to do multi, in my mind. You mm -hmm, know, I was mm -hmm. like, are you 
sure this is where you want us to be. Um, but it turns out that Lincoln, Nebraska is one of the largest, has one of the largest um, refugee resettlement populations. Really? Yeah. Wow. And there's a university here in town um, in Lincoln. And so large population of um, international students who are here, the largest Sudanese refugee population is in Omaha, Nebraska, which is just an hour north of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Mm so I, you know, God was saying to me, look, you're thinking about multiculturalism as black and white, but I have created a diversity of people. Mm -hmm. And so we came to pastor this church um, that at the time was a white church. And they said, you know, it's a downtown church. And they said they wanted to do this work. Um, of becoming more multicultural and serving the community that was there. But the reality of that for everyone, for us, my Mm -hmm. husband, for the congregation is we didn't know what we were doing. You know, we just didn't know. And so we, I always say we experienced swift and rapid attrition. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Congregation. Yeah. And we were left with just this core group of, you know, people who really didn't have an option, older people who, you know, didn't have a way to get to church unless someone was bringing them. And we have a large transient population. Um, And then the university students who were just there and really committed to going to this church. So it was a small congregation. And then we got a call from um, our local refugee resettlement agency. And they asked us if our church would sponsor a family who were and are um, refugees from Burma and had been living in a refugee camp in Thailand. And I did not at that point know there were Karen people. I didn't know there Mm -hmm. was a country called Burma. I didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, none of that. Um, And so this family came to us on the 4th of July. They landed in the airport at night and there were fireworks, you know, just in the air and, um, they arrived with just the clothes on their back. And it was a woman and her four boys. Mm-hmm. And we drove them to their apartment. Um, and that began this journey because that, the Karen population, many, many years ago, our denomination sent a missionary to them. And that's how they learned about Jesus. And they are wow. very, very loyal to our denomination. And we didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So, woman's name is Tokay. And she called her family and she said, you need to come to America and come to this city and you need to come to this church. And so we now have about 300 current people. Really? Amazing. Wow. This is really crazy. Um, But that was a challenge to me because I had to face my biases. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I had to face my, um, prejudgments that I had about people from refugee camps and people who don't speak English and people who don't have money and people who don't have mm. means when the the people who were coming to us had been doctors and lawyers and yep. professional people and educators, you know, in their context, in their home. Um, and so I had to deal with that. And the Lord was just showing me, you know, you don't have all the answers to this diversity question. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I... I would like to grow you in this area. And so he really drew me to that passage, that prayer that Jesus prayed for us in John 17, 21, that we would all be one. And I had to really think about what that meant. And that journey for me has expanded beyond um, race and just this 
realization that we divide ourselves in so many different mm-hmm. ways. And we even divide our ourselves, our souls, yeah. you know, divide our souls down the middle. And we are always, we are constantly, maybe not always, but constantly navigating this imaginary fault line that we have set up and, and these imaginary walls that mm-hmm. we build. And the, and the word tells us that Jesus came to tear down all the walls that we set up yeah. to keep one another at a distance. Um, you know, Deidre, that is, you've, you brought so many points up that, you know, I've even experienced when we're looking at <clears throat> urban city like a Toronto or even in suburban areas where, you know, I, I live. Um, yeah. I think there's a point I want to kind of bring up because I think one of the things that I've noticed is that, you know, there are churches that have, you know, multiculturalism, but I'm also finding more and more churches that are really segregated by ethnicity. And yeah. it's, you know, like we've got the Chinese church and the Filipino church mm-hmm. and, you know, the black church and, right, and people right. have actually started forming like that's that church. And right. I, I grieve about that because I, I don't believe that's what, Jesus intended when he said what you just said, oneness. But I think there is fear in all of us because that means I need to get to know them. I need to get past my biases. I need to get be uncomfortable with the differences. Um, And for a lot of us, Deidre, I think we don't want to go there because we want to be safe and comfortable. And it's easy to be in a community, right? We want sameness, but sameness means us. (laughs) And that's the struggle. I think that's the thing you've really hit on because I'm even saying for myself, it's, it's work to be with other different kinds of people. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it's work just to be with my husband. (laughs) Exactly. I was going to say that too, but I was saying, (laughs) and he would say that, I mean, I'm always telling him, honey, you need to put the fact that you're married to me on your resume because it is. So, um, yeah, so I mean, so many people are doing that work. And I there's a flip side to this, which is, you know, especially here in the United States, where we have this history of slavery, and we still haven't quite overcome mm-hmm. all of the repercussions of that and all of the way that has diseased us in our country. So specifically, you know, I can speak to that African American experience and the black church experience. Mm-hmm. And um, I can remember at one point my dad said, you know, and he was in corporate America. He was, um, there, he tells the story about how his sales team had to go court another, um, company and they were having dinner at the golf club and my dad couldn't go to the golf club. And so he was, you know, left out of that. And so I remember him saying, you know, I deal with this all week long on Sunday. I want to go be with my people. I want to be able to Mm -hmm. relax and be myself. I want to be able to speak my native tongue, which is, you know, English, but it's just a different way of speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I get that. I get that there are, and even, you know, our Karen population, while these people are, you know, they have degrees in medicine, but can't get a job in medicine here. And so they work in the meatpacking industry. Um, And on Sunday is the day they can come together and be leaders and they can teach one another and Mm -hmm. they can celebrate their culture. And, and, you know, there's generational stuff with that, which that's a whole nother conversation. Mm -hmm. But I totally understand um, some of that need for or some of the perceived need for division. And it's just comfortable to Mm -hmm. be with your people, um, even if it's just one day a week. But um, that work of 
what, you know, claiming what Jesus asked for for us, it seems harder than it is. Um, and it's, it's, it's like going to the gym. The idea of going to the gym, you know, it's a, yes. it, the result will be good. <laughs> Getting up off the couch and actually mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. is really hard. And I say to myself all the time, I'm going to the gym for 10 minutes and it always turns into an hour. But it's just convincing myself that I'm going to do this little bit. And that's all I'm holding myself to. And I think it's the same with us, especially in the church, is we don't have to solve the whole problem. But we do need to examine our blind spots. We need to examine the things that we've accepted as normal and okay, Mm -hmm. and ask ourselves, why have we accepted this? What is the witness that we're giving to the world? Because the world is going to, it's the world is watching us. And Mm -hmm. if we can figure this out, if we can figure out how to come together across all of our divisions, um, that's something that people, I mean, that's what that's what Jesus prayed. He said, the reason I'm praying that they will all be one is so that the world will know mm-hmm. that you sent me. And that is how the world will know that Jesus was sent by God because God loved us so much and loves us so much. And it's unconditional love and it's available to anyone. But mm-hmm. when the world looks at the church and sees all of these artificial walls and invisible fault lines that we navigate around and, um, you know, add litmus tests to the gospel for people. And um, they say they're not doing anything different than the rest of the world. Why do I want to be like that? Mm -hmm. But if we could, you know, begin to be bridge builders, um, I think we'd have a different impact on the world. You know, that's a really good point, because I think I think for most people, we want that. But it seems like our default is to build walls. Like I, I feel like in some of the church experiences, church splits, uh, things that we have divided ourselves on as far as issues and politics, it has it has made the church like, you know, the church was supposed to be the safe place of care and acceptance. And I hear from people that are not Christian. They're like, but it's not. It seems like you're having more warring within. You're, you're so divided on so many issues that you're missing the point of what it's supposed to be. And these are people that are not quote unquote, followers of Jesus yet, right? Friends that are saying this. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, as someone, for me, this Gen Xer who has been always like, you know, I want to work at breaking those dividing walls. You know, I'm trying hard to be open and yet fighting against this image of church that people are looking at. And I'm like, but that's not us. That's not (laughs) me and my husband. And we're trying to fight against this. And then I get angry at the church because I'm like, why are you causing me so many issues? (laughs) You know, I'm trying to, you know, build bridges to people and they come at me. So it is, it does take work. My, you know, my husband and I, we're really trying hard to be with people that are not churched, be with different ethnicities, be with people that are, uh, you know, of different, you know, sexual orientation, even just to love people in the way that I believe Jesus has called us to love. And it's hard. It's hard. (laughs) Jesus left us with two, just two things to do, love God and love people. Right. And he knew. Now, I'm sure he was like, you know, I'm just giving you two things to do. They're going to be really hard for you. (laughs) It's so, so difficult. And it's this um, constant surrendering of my own agenda, Hmm. my desire to be comfortable, my need to be safe, um, my need to be right. You know, Hmm. all of that 
I have to let that go. And as soon as I am able to successfully let go one thing, I am shown, well, here's another thing that you need to let go. And really, I mean, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. Mm -hmm. And I always thought he said, I have come that you might be right. And (laughs) that's not not what he said. He's not interested in whether or not we win the argument. He absolutely is not. He's not interested in whether we choose the right side of whatever is the current conversation of the day. Mm -hmm. He's interested in how well do we love even our enemies. You know, there's no, there is no exclusion. There is no one we are not a lot. We are not commanded to love. And love is not like this mushy kind of romantic, say anything love. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. that is love, but this is not the love we're being called to. We are being called to sacrificial love where I honestly and truly am willing to lay down my life, even for my enemy. That is hard stuff. That, and so it's just this surrender. It's God is calling us constantly to surrender, surrender, surrender. And that is scary for people, especially people, you know, like us who are middle-class people who are comfortable and we have um, air conditioning and we have food Mm -hmm. in our refrigerator and healthcare and all of that. It's really hard to surrender, to think that we might have to surrender any of that. You know, that is so good because I, again, I think especially in North America, it is about comfort, right? And it's easier to agree than actually go with a deep conviction. Like I've had friends who say, you know, Mel, it's hard because it'd be so easy to agree, but deep down I know that that's wrong, that actually it's the opposite. But it's Mm -hmm. so easy to do that because then, I mean, I'm so busy. I have all these issues in my life already, but when it comes to this, uh, I just want to agree and and pat it down and say it's okay and we're in our church. And I said, but that's not the way of Christ. Like Jesus' life was not an easy way. He could easily, to make things easy, agreed with the Pharisees and gone the way that, you know, that way. And then he would have had all this conflict and eventually been crucified. But, you know, I look at Jesus over and over and it's like, that isn't the way, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I think you're right, Deidre. And that's hard because then you're confronted with yourself about surrender. And are you yeah. really following Jesus? And then you're like, right. I don't want to, I don't want that back on me. <laughs> it was so easy to kind of keep it out there. Exactly. And I mean, <laughs> I think that's the whole point. I need to be right because as long as I'm right, then that means I'm better than someone else, uh, right? And so there's this, it's really important. I may not be better. I mean, I may not agree with everyone up here, but at least I'm right and I'm better than the people <laughs> over here. And so I've always got someone I've, I've one-upped. And you said it perfectly that we are confronted with ourselves. And yeah. that's what Jesus is after. The Holy Spirit of God is after this, me. Mm. He's not, he has not dispatched me into the world to correct everyone else. He is interested in an intimate relationship with me and transforming my heart and my spirit to be more like Christ. Mm. Who, when I read that story of, um, you know, the story of the woman caught in adultery and they bring her before Jesus. One of my favorites. And and the word says he writes in the sand. Mm -hmm. And what that did for Jesus to write in the sand, it meant that he got low before her and put his head down to look at the sand in front of this woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Mm. Instead of 
casting her to the ground, standing over her, pointing his finger at her and telling her how she had been wrong. Um, he humbled himself before her. And that's what we're called to do is yeah. to humble ourselves before people, to let the Holy Spirit work in us, to transform us so that we can love our enemies. It's beautiful. Deidre, you know what? I'm so glad that all this passion that we're talking about is put into this book here that you've just done, One Unity in a Divided World. Uh, it is packed full of, I mean, even it's just a, a portion of what we've been talking about, but yeah. just so much about finding oneness and unity. And it's filled with stories of, of, of you know, your own life and, and, and interactions you've had with people and the importance of culture making. I mean, this is a profound book that I know is timely. What's your hope with this? Because, I mean, already I know what we've been talking about is, is the heart of, of the book. What's your hope when people get this, um, get this book, when they finish it? What are you hoping that they come out of it with? Yeah, you know, one of my big hopes was just to write it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I get that. There, um, And I really, I hope people can read it not as um, either a judgment or a prescription, you mm -hmm. know, but yeah. simply as an invitation to a conversation and to an opening of our hearts to let God show us his way of mm. oneness, not the way that we've described it, not the way that we think it ought to go down, um, but what God really intends for us when God talks about oneness. And what was Jesus really praying for us when he prayed for oneness for us? What is that Father, Son, Holy Spirit oneness? Mm -hmm. And how do we aspire to that through the power of the Holy Spirit? So, yeah. That's profound. You know, Deidre, we need more of your voices. We need more of you <clears throat> out there because I think that's a really important thing that I'm doing a takeaway is that it's not about being right, right? It's about love and building relationship. And, and so what if I'm wrong? Like, I think we have to get past it. Like, maybe I am wrong and that's okay. Yeah. You know, maybe I don't know. And that's okay yeah. too, right? I mean... We have to get past this culture that I am right and I will prove it. Mm -hmm. And so that means that I will control and I will put you down so that I am right. And at the end of the day, I've, I've had those experiences. And you come away, do you really come away fulfilled and, and feeling fantastic after that? No. You actually feel the opposite, right? Yeah, I feel like the more right I am, and not that, you know, there is absolute truth. There's, you know, there's yeah. all of that. But um, the more right I am, the less opportunity there is for me to grow. Because yes. I have, I've figured it out, right? So there's <laughs> no need for me to have any more conversations about this or read anything mm -hmm. else about it or listen to any podcasts about it because I have figured it out. <laughs> so, and, and I am, you know, 53 today. I don't know who I'm going to be when I'm 63. And I don't know, you know, my 43-year-old didn't know I would be this person yeah. now. So, you know, God is always, my grandmother would say, once you have it all figured out, you may as well buy your coffin because what else is there to learn? There's right. nothing, there's nothing <laughs> else to learn. So, yeah, it's this investment in being right is something to hold loosely yeah. and to be willing to sacrifice um, before God. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, Deidre Riggs, what a pleasure to talk with you. I could talk to you for another two hours. And, I, you know, to the viewers and listeners, get this book. 
One, Unity in a Divided World, Deidre Riggs. I'm, I believe you can pick it up on Amazon, correct? Yeah. And uh, everywhere else, uh, Christian bookstores as well. But thank you. Thank you for your voice. Thank you for what you bring um, to us. And thank you for being with me on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of Your Story with Melinda. There's plenty more at faithstrongtoday.com slash your story. But if you really want more, make sure you subscribe to the show so you never, ever miss an episode.